cielos algodonales bajo un sol abrazador. What? Like what? ¿Qué qué? Is this a podcast or a fiesta? If you're from Mexico like me, bienvenidos a Perra Fuera del Agua. If you're a gringo or a non-Spanish speaker, welcome to Bitch Out of Water, a show about trying things while being alive. We are the World Girls. I'm Dorina. This is Steph, Estefania. I'm really thankful for Mexicans and everything they've given us, including you, Dorina. Thank you. Gracias. This is Roxy. Roxana. It's me. Me, Gringo Rox. That's what they call me, all the people. It's a good nickname, and I'm sticking to it. That's right. We are, I guess, Las Chicas Remolino in Spanish, the World Girls. And here's the thing. In this podcast, we talk about things we've given a world, are giving a world, and boy, did I give Mexico a world. I gave Mexico a world for 18 years of my life, and we're going to get into it. Roxy and Steph, I know, have lots of questions and are very curious about my experience, as much as uh, I'm sure growing up in Boston and San Diego was exciting. I don't know how exciting it was compared to Little Dirty Nine in Mexico, Mexicali. It was bitching. Really great. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> Not as good as Mexico, I'll tell you that. Well, well, we'll look at all. We'll look at the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. For those of you that don't know, I grew up in Mexicali, Baja California. That is a state uh, that is a border town with California. So only two hours away from Steph. And I guess 10 years later, because <laughs> Steph did not exist when I was when I grew up there. But um, I was actually specifically born on this side of the border. I was literally what you call an anchor baby. My mom uh, had me at a hospital in the U.S. in El Centro, Imperial Valley in California, just across the border with a very long future plan for herself and us to end up moving to the U.S. Not sure if you can still do that, but you could definitely do that in 1982. So literally the day I was born, July 26th in El Centro, we drove right past the border back to Mexicali. So I was born on this side, but I consider myself very native to Mexico because I grew up in Mexicali for 18 years. I was there my entire life. I crossed the border to go to the store and things like that or the movies, but my entire life was spent in Mexico. At that time, you could just go back and forth like that, and then and then that changed later on? So you could just go back and forth for the groceries? Seriously, Roxy. And those were the times, because unfortunately, after 9-11, things changed. Very much so. Like, for example, ICE didn't exist. That was a nice thing. And when you cross the border in the 80s and the 90s, you literally just cross whether you're walking or whether you're driving, and you would just say, you a citizen if you were American and they let you that you let you cross you wouldn't even need to show your passport it was so chill the border patrol was cool and that changed now it's like three hours in your car and uh, they have dogs come out and like smell your car all over the place like it's very annoying it was very easy to to cross the border when I was a child and it was I have very nice memories from that I don't understand it's Mexico wasn't any part of 9-11 other I guess you're both brown people is that was that what it was that's a very good question Steph and we can uh basically dedicate an entire other episode of this podcast to that but um yeah I mean I, I, unfortunately the U.S. is known for 
creating agencies and organizations as well as laws to supposedly protect this country and for the purposes of so-called national security. But in my opinion, it's bullshit. I don't understand or will ever understand what has made the border safer past these, you know, awful, tragic events happening. But that's just something that they decide. And, you know, war, uh, it's not good for anything except money. So there's that. But that's not what this podcast is about. So you guys, Roxy and Steph here wanted me to kind of paint a picture of what was it really like to live in Mexico as a kid, as a teenager, and as an adult. And so I want to go back to like my earliest memories as a kid. Like, let me paint you a picture basically of what it was like. I lived in a working class neighborhood. Most of these colonias is what you call them, were loud. There were street vendors. There were dogs on the roof. Uh, I know some of y'all are like, what the fuck? (laughs) But there were dogs on the roof. It was a common thing. Definitely a follow-up questions about that. Okay. How'd they get there? Were there dog ladders? Are they born on the roof? So the thing about Mexico and a lot of countries that aren't first world countries is that the distinction between classes is very jarring, right? You have like a very small, wealthy neighborhood next to a very impoverished neighborhood. And so with working class and poor neighborhoods or colonias, the houses are all kind of next to each other. And it was very easy for animals to hop fences and to kind of hop from house to house. And so a lot of people wanted the dogs on the roofs to scare away burglars. It it didn't necessarily work, but that's why. It was kind of like an alarm system for them, I guess. So are they pets or are they stray dogs? Both. Iconic. It's iconic to me. (laughs) Yeah. so, uh, So yeah, we had street vendors. We had dogs on the roof. I grew up with my mom and my brother mostly because my dad had left. So we were in this house uh, in a working class colonia and we weren't super poor, but we definitely were not wealthy. We were like low middle class. And so we had all the experiences you could think of from being in the bathroom, taking a poop and or shit, you know, depends on your lexicon. And I remember like sitting in the toilet and two cockroaches would crawl up my leg, for example. That was a common thing to see bugs everywhere, which I know Steph looks shocked because she would have probably died and vomited. And then, you know, funny, funny things like that that make you brave. (laughs) But then also really cool things like going to my grandma's house and uh, making tortillas with her. Or something that was very common is also when I was at my grandma's house, it was full of animals there. She had uh, the typical Mexican dog, chihuahuenos, chihuahuas. She had a bunch of chihuahuas. She had like uh, mutts. She had cats, birds, basically a freaking farm. In Mexico, we just have a lot of animals and families have a lot of kids. So that's a very common thing. And it's a very loud neighborhood like at night you hear your neighbors partying people are dancing which would never happen obviously in the u.s because people call the cops here uh over there just we just grew up around noise and then even though people would yell at each other and it was a common thing to just be kind of aggressive but to your face as opposed to calling the cops on you a funny story for example my mom (laughs) 
told me and my brother one day that the gas tanks or water heater outside were gone. And my brother and I went outside and we noticed that there were actual, uh, what's huellas in, in English? Prints on the- Trails. Yeah, like trails on the ground. And so my brother and I, being huge fans of Sherlock Holmes, followed the trail and ended up a couple blocks away and saw our water heaters. And so we just knocked and said, yo, se lo robaron, es de nosotros. We told the guy, we're like, those are our gas tanks. You gotta give them back. So we just confronted these people and they were just like, yeah, all right. Which I know is so weird and shocking to people, but that was such a normal kind of behavior in our communities because not all of us, but people stole to survive. It was just understood, if that makes sense. So that person stole the water heaters. You went and you confronted that person about stealing the water heaters and they said, all right, take them back because you came over here to get them. That's fine. Yeah, like I feel like the most they could be like, no, like these are ours. And they'd be like, no, they're not. We just we followed the trail. Look at we can follow the trail back to our house where you took them from. So it was like maybe like a little bit of a debate. But then eventually they would be like, all right, take them back. It was a very common thing that would happen there because we knew that most people didn't steal to commit crime. They stole to be able to live because we didn't get help from our government. But them being able to live makes it harder for you to live. But that was just kind of part of the way of life. Correct. How was the community set up? Does people know each other? And so did you know the people that took the water heater? So you're like, hey, Bob, uh, I see you every morning on your walk. That's my water heater. Or was it a random that was kind of adjacent to the community? Well, it would have been Roberto stuff. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. But no, um, we didn't know those people. And we mostly knew our direct neighbors. And maybe we would have known those people. We would have seen them at like the park or school or things like that. But it wasn't like everybody kind of knew each other unless we did some form of business with them. Like if we went to uh, a tia's house for like food because there were street vendors, but then there were also like each home uh, would have like a housewife that would make things. We would buy like blankets. If you're Mexican, you're very familiar with a San Marcos blanket, a colcha for the winter when it's very cold. And you guys have probably like if you cross the border, you'll see vendors with these giant blankets uh, that look very fluffy and like are like brown and gray. Housewives just sold those. So we would like know them. Or if we went to English lessons, for example, like we had a, an English teacher. So we'd go to her house to go to like vocabulary or grammar, English lessons and things like that. So those are the only people we knew if we actually like interacted with them or did business with them. And anybody could sell anything out of their home? Yeah, because it was all little small businesses. Like it wasn't like here in the U.S. where you have to like create your S Corp or your LLC. It's like you're just selling arts and crafts type of things. And people just knock on their door and be like, I heard you have the blankets. Mm -hmm. And you pay in money or do you, is it like a kind of like a barter system? Like you're like, you, I have this blanket. I have English lessons. Let's trade. No, no, no. It was, it was more so, I mean, I'm sure that happened, but no, it was, we just pay in pesos. Um, So yeah, that, so in that way we did know our neighbors and that's kind of like, we would never go after somebody like that, that stole something that's in our property and like call the cops on them if they weren't actually like aggressive violent people because we knew most of them weren't 
Most of them were just trying to live their life. So. so it felt like it's just so bizarre because when you live in America your whole life, everyone's first go-to is to just call the cops who usually make the situation worse. So you all had like an understanding that you could probably handle the situation better than the police? Well, we didn't trust the police, number one. I think there's a whole other conversation to be had about American culture and how Americans just don't like talking to each other because they're very individualistic versus just talking to a human being and being like, yo, you stole that, that belongs to me, just give it back, right? Which is much more simple and involving the authorities. But I'm painting this picture of living in a cool community. However, there was also some ugly things like, we grew up not trusting authority, not trusting our government. Like when I was in diapers, I knew that our president was corrupt. Like we, we knew that propaganda in the media was rampant. Um, we knew that uh, because class differences were so striking, as a child, I saw children living in poverty a lot. Just like here, there are certain cities in the U.S. where you see a lot of uh, unhoused neighbors, a lot of homeless people, but it's only in certain cities. Like in, in Mexico, Every town that you go to, there's like a few wealthy people, some middle class, and then a lot of poverty. So I grew up seeing children just being poor. And that was a, a sad reality that we all kind of grew up with that kind of made us appreciate what we, what we did have. What do you mean when you say when you're in diapers, you knew that the president was corrupt in the same way that some political parties here will if you're a parent of a certain political party maybe the opposite political party that's in office you'll teach your kids oh we don't like this president or what do you mean so you're asking for example in the u.s you kind of choose a party but in mexico you didn't do that and why well just in in the way that if i was growing up and my say my parents didn't like bush senior then as a little kid i would hear them talking about not liking bush senior and i might say in school like Bush senior sucks or some some shit like that. Like, how did you know that the president was corrupt? And what do you mean by corrupt? And is that just common knowledge for everybody's beliefs or just your family? It was definitely common knowledge for everybody's belief. It is a huge thing. Well, first of all, if you go back to Mexican history, we actually did have a dictator. Uh, not when I was alive, but uh, the revolution happened in 1910, and it was to topple uh, Porfirio Diaz. So there was an actual dictator that lived in Mexico, and, and we were all aware of that, learning that history in school. And then eventually, there was a form of dictatorship by one particular party, uh, the PRI, PRI. And so the same party kept winning, quote unquote, every six years when it was time to elect a president. So I grew up with the same party in power forever. The switch into a different party happened when I was probably a, a teenager to adult. So we always knew that whoever won didn't actually win properly. That unlike what Trump claims happens here, over there we actually did know that the elections were rigged. And that was just common knowledge. because It was also common knowledge that the cops were there to protect themselves and the government. So we didn't ever call cops because they knew that they weren't there to help us. That was just common in the culture. Like we don't, as Mexicans, we never had respect for government or authorities. We just had respect for our culture. That's why we are so passionate about being Mexican, about our food, about our culture, about our football, right? About our soccer. Like we're so, we're very proud people when it comes to who we are as the people, but not when it comes to like 
our government at all. They're very polar opposites there. So do you think that there was a chosen way that you did like people just detach themselves from the government like as much as that you could live your life without considering them as a part of your lives do you know what I mean like was that like because for us as Americans we go to school the first thing we do is say the pledge of allegiance and we're like already ingrained in our minds about so much of what we do is just a direct interaction with American government and it seems like you guys it was the opposite like did you was there like a chosen detachment from that in the way you did your day-to-day lives definitely i mean we didn't have a pledge of allegiance in school but we did have what we call honores a la bandera which is we honored the flag so so on on mondays every week on monday mornings at school we were all unless you went to public school uh, we were all in uniform and we would stand outside and have an escolta, which is kind of like a little, uh, I guess, what would be escolta in English? It's like a little, like, tiny military thing uh, or, or military parade of kids holding the flag and walking around in a circle while we all, like, you know, respect the flag, right? So we were taught to respect the flag. We just didn't associate the flag with government or with the president. Right. We associated the flag more so with national pride of like we are proud to be Mexican. Very interesting. Are you part of the militia walking around the military? I was like if you had good grades, you would end up as one of the the little kids. It was like seven kids, I think, that would do that every week. So it was so embarrassing. I hated it. I would have paid big peso to see little Dorina with the Mexican flag walking around. Just awful. And it was that thing was heavy. You know, it's a beautiful flag, but I was not happy about it. Yeah. So so that's kind of, uh, you know, I guess I'm trying to think of things that I'm missing about. You know, we we're talking about just the political climate, the social climate, what the lifestyle was was like there. I also remember visiting my dad in Guadalajara and Jalisco and I remember loving when we would stop by a street vendor on the side of the road and we would buy the freshest fruit available it's one of the biggest things I miss about living there like Whole Foods could never this fruit was from the earth no freaking chemicals it was amazing right the best fruit you could imagine the best mangoes sandias watermelon all of that avocados mm-hmm aguacates exactamente para guacamole Um, The other fun thing was that traffic lights and stop signs are kind of just suggestions. So it's funny to see people drive in the U.S. and freak out at how everybody drives like crap or because in Mexico, we just we just drive. We don't care. It's just a matter of we drive on the offense and here people drive on the defense. So it's kind of funny. Does nobody get pulled over for going through a stop sign or a light? Uh, No, we get pulled over. I specifically have memories of being a teenager in my boyfriend's car and being stopped by cops for going maybe a little bit fast on like a yellow light. And they would stop us and the first thing they would ask is, ¿Cuánto traes? Like, how much money you got? So they would take the opportunity to stop you in order for you to give them money. You would pay them. Mm -hmm. They would pull you over and then you would give them money to get out of it? Correct. Did it matter how much money you had? No, they just wanted some cash. And then they would let you go? 
That was just the culture. So we didn't trust cops. And in order to, if you got stopped by them, we knew that we would have to like give the money. It was just a known thing. One thing I do constantly see in the news, especially regarding Mexico, is the the treatment of women and like the amount of femicide is what they call it of women deaths in Mexico. When you were driving alone and you got pulled over, was there any fear of what could happen if you already didn't have a trust with them? Oh, yeah. And I grew up there in the 80s and the 90s. So things weren't as dangerous as as the media possibly paints them to be now. What's funny, actually, is when I was a kid, the popular drug lords had my last name, the Arellano Felix. So it was a really bizarre thing to, for example, fly a plane and be stopped at the airport and have the dude checking our IDs, seeing my last name, being slightly scared and telling me, go ahead, because they were scared of my last name. And for me, I was a kid with not a lot of money, clearly not part of the cartel, clearly not rich like those jerks that killed people and there were awful people. And it was just a bizarre thing to be like, I'm gaining respect because I shared the name with a drug lord bizarre whoa just random it was it wasn't distant family or anything to you it just was you guys randomly had the same name no it's actually it's not a super common name like a sanchez or uh perez but it's 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 also not uncommon if you're gonna be messing with a corrupt government and you have corruption like that like in every country i i would be kind of happy if my name aligned and they let me through like that's some good gang clout it was bizarre it was one of the most bizarre experiences because you just say all right thanks i'll just use this for now because everything else we're struggling with so hell yeah i guess you know that's kind of what you see out there you're just like it's una bendición sure counting blessings here so yeah our our relationships to going back to what roxy was asking just in general with cops like something that i remember as a kid too is traveling through like the highways from city to city you would see army or military men stopped with their metralletas where they're like huge freaking guns probably purchased in the u.s and it was scary right because you're like why are these people standing here with freaking huge weapons while families are driving in their cars right so so that's something that's also in in the culture of like we're so proud of our country but we definitely don't respect and also fear authorities and government because they we know that they're not there for us. Wow. That's an interesting thing because even though I there's like a lot of issues obviously with American government and the police, I did I wasn't privy to that as a child. There's privilege to that statement of course in America, but I do remember growing up in San Diego and learning about that and wondering if that was America trying to be like America's the best you're lucky you're here or how much of that was true or not true. Yeah, I mean, and, and obviously, having lived here now for the second half of my life, I've seen form, we've all seen different forms of corruption here and different forms of how we deal with law enforcement. But the main difference, I guess, would be that number one, as a woman, you bringing up the femicidios, I would not have the same opportunities in Mexico that I have had here because I didn't grow up wealthy. 
in Mexico, there's a lot of corruption and there's also a lot of nepotism. That also exists in the U.S. It's just that there's a higher degree of that in Mexico. And so unless I was the, the daughter of somebody very wealthy, I would have been able to have the career that I have had moving to the States, which is why our mom wanted us to move here. Right. Uh, and that goes for the same of trusting any sort of law enforcement. If something happened here, I don't think I would be afraid to call a cop if I had to. I have never found my, myself in need of calling a cop. Uh, I don't think cops should exist except for maybe helping with traffic, honestly. But at least I know that if a cop stops me, they might be a little gross, but I don't fear for my life like I would down there. So that's the main difference. When you speak about your mom wanting to make sure that you guys grew up or moved to the United States, it's interesting because she made sure you were born in the United States, but it was at a time period, as you described, that you were able to go back and forth. Mm -hmm. Did she just see the writing on the wall like one day this won't be able to happen, so I want to make sure that they have the stability to be able to be United States citizens? Or was that just really lucky that you ended up being a citizen because she she made that happen randomly? Definitely the latter. I don't think my mom knew at all that the U.S. was going to continue getting more and more crazy with supposed national security or like safety measures and immigration policy has gotten worse and worse. Like when I was a child, we didn't have ICE. Right, ICE is a relatively new organization, which I think is one of the most grossest thing the U.S. has ever done, and it's obviously a human violation atrocities that that have been committed because of these organizations. So that was not the case when I was a kid. When when I was a kid, my mom and my family saw the U.S. as this land of opportunity, like a lot of people that immigrated here. If you move to the U.S., you can have your home, and your kids can have a career, and which was not the case for a lot of people that weren't wealthy in Mexico. So that was her main goal, right? She just saw the U.S. as literally a land of opportunity. So she had me on this side, hoping that we would all be able to move here because she herself grew up very poor. And so she wanted a better life for her kids. That's why most people that move to the States move for that reason, to have a better life for their kids. And being here now, you still think it's a better opportunity here than if you had stayed in Mexico? I think if I had stayed in Mexico, I would have had to have had a very different professional life as well as personal life. In fact, a lot of the friends that I grew up with in high school, or at least some of them, moved to the United States for the same reasons. There are still people there that stayed because they stayed in their parents' businesses, for example, Right. That wasn't the case for people like myself. Neither my dad or my mom grew up with money. They had to make their own lives, their livelihoods. So I definitely think that I would have ended up either having to be a lawyer like my mom or an architect like my dad. But I wouldn't have like taken over their businesses or anything because they didn't really have big businesses. So I would have had to have just done something very practical and I also would have had to stay in a very even more so traditional culture than the U.S. I, there's no I don't even think I would have been able or thought about having a husband and a boyfriend. I'll tell you that. No way. Because that's not even it, that doesn't really happen. So it wouldn't have even been at the 
like in your mind of a possibility is that what you're saying probably not I mean I think living in Mexico in high school I had a boyfriend but I still didn't think about growing up and getting married and having kids that was yelled at us forever right that was the thing that you had to do and I was very much against that which is why another cool part of uh, being a teenager in Mexico is that you find your people your your fellow fans of the Smiths and the Smiths or metal or Nine Inch Nails and you find your weirdo dark kids that are kind of rebelling it against these traditional so-called family values so you find your people there in, in order to rebel together towards that. But I think staying there would have made it much harder to make and build the life that I am very happy living here. And all of those friends, were they also born in the States and then drove over the border? Or do you have friends who are not able to be in the States now because they that didn't happen for them? It's both. So my brother, for example, he was born in Mexico, in a Mexican hospital. But he studied his ass off, ended up at college in Mexico, Tec de Monterrey. It's a very popular, good university in Monterrey. And a company from the U.S. went over to Mexico and I'm sure other countries to recruit people and students to come work in the States. And so that's how my brother ended up getting a work visa. And eventually he was able to become a permanent resident because of that. So that was a really cool opportunity for him having been a really good student that, you know, I don't think happens to a lot of people. So that's how he was able to live here. My mom was able to live here because of me, but that's how my brother did it. So for my other friends, maybe just one had my situation that she was born here, but everybody else either had to come here on a work visa or marry somebody that had a work visa. It's wild that you were a citizen and your brother was not. Well, According to my mom's experience, it was because she did not have a good experience while giving birth in a Mexican hospital, and she wanted to have a better technology, supposedly, and that's why she had me across the border. But it's bizarre to talk about the healthcare situation because there's pros and cons. In the U.S., there's no universal healthcare, whereas in Mexico there is, even though in the U.S. there's possibly better technology so in san diego we did learn a little bit about how mexican parents would scare their children into behaving and one of the most frightening things i learned about was el cocoy and the chancla were both of these things in your family and where did they come from so one of the lovely things about being mexican and i'll probably talk about this a little bit later thanks to our beloved director Guillermo del Toro is we really celebrate life and death and so we have a lot of myths and legends and folklore surrounding these themes. I'm sure Americans do too but in in Mexico it's just much bigger so since we were kids we would hear things like La Llorona right grown-ups would tell us these stories and if you don't go to bed el cucuy is gonna get you Or la mano peluda, which is the hairy hand. That's what my mom was told about when she was a kid. If you were a kid playing outside at night, you'd be like, it's time to go to bed or el cucuy is going to get you. And then for when it comes to la chancla, that was just a common thing that parents did when when we were kids is that they beat the crap out of us. 
that was a very common way to raise your kids and you either I remember my mom throwing actual shoes at us while she was on the phone because she wanted us to shut up because we were being loud and obnoxious it's very interesting and jarring to see the differences of moving here and now seeing that scene as something like child abuse in in this American culture right because when I was a kid it was a normal thing that it's like you respect mom she's a matriarch and what mom says goes they would throw the shoe oh yeah la chancla (laughs) oh my gosh is that what you mean when you say beat the crap out of you like throw shoes at you or do you mean like there's a whole different cultural shift there where where just in general parents were very physically abusive I'm not sure about now, but when we were kids, it was very normal to be spanked or hit with a belt, for example. Parents treated their kids kind of like little animals running around, which because that's what kids are, right? It's just that now there's so there's definitely a huge contrast between the way we were raised in the 80s, which I think still is similar to Americans. It's just that in in Latino culture, it's much more rampant down there. I, I don't know if that would actually be considered child abuse in Mexico now as it is in the U.S. But it sounds like even if it was considered child abuse, what would somebody do about it? You can't call the police. Nobody would care because, like, why would the police come? They don't, it's like, oh, you don't have money for us. Why would we come to your house? Speaking of the police and the corruption, I hear a lot of my friends, including myself, say things about Mexico like, you know, I, I remember I wanted to go on spring break in Mexico. I said to my parents, I really want to go. And they said, you can't go. It's too dangerous there. Do you think when you hear that, like how fucking weird that is? Because that's where you grew up. You grew up in Mexico. So how could it be too dangerous for me to go for a week when you when you spent 18 years there? The way a lot of foreign countries, especially a neighboring country like Mexico, is portrayed in the media is bizarre to me. Because, yes cartels exist carteles we i also grew up knowing being aware that drug lords were a thing right and i definitely know people that have been murdered and it's awful it is tragic and you grow up hearing these stories from either a family member that was shot or my friend's wife that was murdered with her child in the car it's fucking horrible so these things do happen now do they, does that mean those things don't happen in the U.S.? Of course they happen. They just happen to a lesser degree. And I think that there's a little bit of more, I guess, following the rules, following the law culture in the U.S. than Mexico, maybe. And I think that's the biggest difference. But to hear when I was a kid, or not even when I was a kid, when I moved to the States and I was in college in San Diego, we would just go to Tijuana and it was normal. And, and then later on, I learned that people stopped going because the media painted it as like it's gotten more dangerous. So I think that things have gotten more dangerous in general in the world. I don't think it's specific to Mexico, if that makes sense. Like if you had kids, D, living in the United States and they said to you, I want to go to Mexico for the weekend and say it was a young girl by herself, would you say no worries, have fun? I think it depends on where and how. If you are going to... A big city like like Mexico City, for example, a lot of people travel there all the time. So it just depends on how you're doing it. If you're going by yourself and you're an American that doesn't know anything about Mexico and you're gonna you're probably gonna get at least mugged, right? If if you're with me 
and I know how to navigate the city and talk and speak the language and talk to people, then you're going to have a blast, right? It just depends on your knowledge of the country and the culture. That's kind of been my understanding lately, especially getting to know you, D more and your experience growing up there is that it's kind of like you have to know the system. And because, as you were saying, you don't trust government and you're not really calling the cops, I'm sure that just will lead to less like less people get in trouble for doing bad shit than here because they're less likely to like investigate or go after that person and do you think that that has to do with kind of the unsafety or I guess what I'm saying is that my parents are like always say like well if you go there we can't do shit while you're there there's nothing we can do. The American government can't do shit if something happens to you in Mexico. So that's kind of what, but that's everywhere in the world. America can't do shit. So I think that there is some like propaganda, I guess, in that way. But also I'm like, y'all, the scaring worked on me. <laughs> I, I, I thought they have me believing my ears going to get sent to y'all <laughs> if I'm there. I think that Everything is gray and there's nuance to all of these things, to everything in life, really, except tacos. Tacos are officially delicious. So I think that there's definitely propaganda. I think that for the U.S. to put money into organizations like Department of Homeland Security and awful organizations like ICE, they need to communicate to the public that the border is dangerous. All these criminals are coming. What did Trump say? All these murderers and rapists are crossing the border. That is awful and ignorant because the cartels and the drugglers are not crossing the border the way that families are crossing the border to survive. There's definitely awful corrupt organizations in Mexico that are actually kind of friendly with the government. There are drug lords that are friendly with cops and the government, and that's a whole other awful thing happening. But Crossing the border, those are people that are surviving. Like most people that you meet in the U.S. that are not just Mexican, but Hispanic or Latinos, they are here to survive, to have a better life for their families. Just like my mom wanted a better life for her kids. That's why everyone moves here, because if you live in Mexico and you don't grow up with the opportunities of wealth or nepotism, then you don't have a lot of opportunity to have a good life. So if you want to have children and have them grow up and not just be successful, but just have to, to have a normal life, you can't really do that down there. It's very difficult. That's why people move here. So it's very sad that that's the picture that is painted of my country because the U.S. benefits from war, right? It's freaking awful. To me, the one thing that is confusing is that Mexico has provided us with such great culture, including probably the best regional food that we can ever ask for. <laughs> did y'all, did you know growing up that you guys had that game on lock? <laughs> or, like, or was it like uh, ignorance of growing up and just being like, oh yeah, this tastes good because it's me, but we don't really know. Like, did you have American food in Mexico and other like Chinese food or was it primarily Mexican? Yeah, so we had all kinds, but I definitely have to say living in a city like Los Angeles, we are so lucky that we have every freaking cuisine here that's delicious. However... Every single Mexican food place in Mexico is delicious. Every single Mexican restaurant tastes like you're at your abuelita's, or in my case, bolita, and it's authentic 
as fuck. It's cheap and it tastes delicious. And every restaurant we went to in Mexico was delicious. There were also other cuisines. In fact, in Mexicali specifically, there was a lot of delicious Chinese food because of Chinese immigration in the sec in the 60s, specifically Cantonese Chinese food. And it was it's actually a popular thing for people that have visited Mexicali that we have some of the best Chinese food in the world. So we are very, very proud of our food, especially because it's funny to think about things like NAFTA, which was when was that in the 90s, and how fast food, American fast food places ended up being imported into our country in Mexico. So I remember the first time a McDonald's opened, for example, when I was a kid, and me thinking, oh, yeah, I get a Happy Meal. In fact, my mom wrongly called it a comida contenta when they were calling it a cajita feliz. And I remember being happy about it. But now that I think of it, I'm like, why would I pay two bucks for a Happy Meal when I can have three delicious tacos for 20 pesos? Wow. That was the price difference? It was the same price, basically, for a Happy Meal than for like three tacos. Oh, okay. That was me doing bad peso math. One was in dollars, pesos. Yeah. Because of your lack of trust in the government and the police, uh, you know I'm always curious about this as our resident Jew. What was the religious element of growing up in Mexico? So definitely extremely Catholic. Most people, when I was a kid, were Catholic. I knew maybe one guy in my school that was a Jehovah's Witness. I didn't know any Jews. Most people were specifically Catholic, and then maybe some were just Christian. But I went to a Catholic school, not because my mom was super religious, but because that was the better education if you were able to go to a private school on like scholarship, for example. And most private schools had the Catholic element. So we had to do Bible study and we had to do our communion and our confirmation and all these things because of our schooling. So unfortunately, it is very much in our culture and I say unfortunately not to talk crap about anybody that's religious I think that as we say here on the world girls we tolerate everything but intolerance if it helps you be a good spiritual person go for it but I was raised when I would go to Sunday mass every week I constantly heard that I was less because I was a woman I was heard that homosexuality was a sin and not not saying that every Catholic believes that, but that's what was taught in Mexican Catholic Church. So that was a very unfortunate part of the culture. However, it's understandable because people are living in poverty, then they have to believe in something and they have to have faith in something. And so therefore they attend mass and they pray to La Virgencita in the santos and the saints and because they're praying to god please help me because my life is so difficult that's always been an interesting factor of religion is that i completely understand what an oppressed culture grasp on to religion because what do you you would have a hard time finding hope if you didn't have something to pray to so in that sense i completely sympathize with the beginning of that, like my Armenian side is very, very Catholic because of the genocide. And that's what they held on to. And that's what they're always going to hold on to. I'm sh sure it's very similar for the Jews after the Holocaust. Like that's what you have to hold on to. So I get it in that sense. But did you grow up all like were the kids in your school 
kind of thinking the same thing that it felt weird or I know D you've always kind of been a little bit of an outcast do you remember being uh kind of alone on that island definitely and in many ways all the way from being in class and hearing one of the teachers that was a nun say that parents who are divorced are, are living in sin because they're still married in the eyes of God and me being one of the few kids that had divorced parents that was really crappy to hear all the way to running into priests and nuns in places where they are you know shopping for luxury items and seeing the Pope wear Prada shoes right all of those very bizarre things that I'm like what does this have to do with Jesus or being Christian when you're wanting to have a lot of money and you're friends with the wealthiest people in town and also there's a whole pedophile thing that not every priest is obviously a pedophile but when I was a kid I would hear stories of the Pope moving around priests from church to church that were found out to be pedophiles and I remember my my grandma and my mom hating the church because of that. Like my grandma read the Bible and she was spiritual and religious, but she hated the actual like organized religion aspect of it because of how hypocritical it was and because of how much corruption there was within the church as well. Did you think that life was like this for everybody until you finally moved to the States? Like, did you think that kind of just everybody was catholic obviously you're well read so i'm sure you knew that that wasn't the way but like that people were catholic that uh dogs were always on houses that you know everything that you've named so far was that like okay this is the way life is and then you got to the states and you were like holy shit for my personal experience i got to cross the border as a child so i saw a different world already as a kid i grew up in a town that had mostly working class people but I would cross the border and see the streets being cleaner and things looking nicer and like the American suburban type of lifestyle, right? So I definitely saw the the differences in, I guess, a little bit of culture shock there that I was used to as a kid from kind of seeing both worlds or growing up in both worlds. Shout out to Hannah Montana fans, I guess. I was too old for that. So I definitely got to see that, but now that I'm older, I think about the way that the U.S. to me was put on a pedestal by the media and by my mom. And now I see, whoa, the U.S. has its own issues. Right. That's what I've learned of being here for like 20 years, that I am very proud to be Mexican American. I grew up being Mexican, but now I consider myself Mexican American because I live in both countries for half of my life or half of what would it be? Yeah, 20 years in Mexico and then 20 years in the US. So I am very proud of my cultures and being bicultural, but I also understand that both cultures and both countries have its own problems. And I found that by, I think, growing up on a border town. I don't know if that would be the case if I had grown up in a southern part of Mexico and in another town that I only saw Mexican culture and then I moved here as an adult and maybe saw even more of a culture shock. When you were a kid in Mexico and you knew and you were familiar with American culture, were you or anyone around you thinking, I wish American government helped with our government? When I was a kid, I remember seeing 
American media go to war all the time. <laughs> I saw the Bushes, obviously Clinton. It was a really bizarre thing to see a lot of military stuff going on on the, on the news. So being Mexican, we didn't go to war, right? <laughs> like we didn't have the infrastructure to do that or to kind of intrude in another country's problems. So it was a, it's a bizarre thing for us. It's like me as, as a Mexican, we grew up trying to just survive and help our own country's issues. So I've never understood, I guess, what nowadays is called American imperialism, right? Like a lot of people say, oh, the U.S. could go help this country. But have they really? I guess maybe a couple times. Yeah, I, I asked that in kind of an ironic way because of the way America has notoriously interjected themselves and made things worse and then not interjected ourselves when we possibly could have helped prevent a genocide. So I I don't know what it's like when you grow up in another country, what your viewpoint of America is. I've heard both sides where they either glorify American government and wish America would help or we're like, please don't, we're okay, we're better off without you here. Yeah, and it's funny because it's a whole other, I mean, this podcast could last, could last hours just talking about a Mexican's views of American culture or of how we saw gringos as kids, right? Because we were very, we were very proud people, whenever the U.S. and Mexico played soccer, we were like, Pinches gringos, like we're like, we're going to kill you because we knew that you guys had the money. You guys had the power, right? You guys are like, we live next to north of us. We have this super wealthy nation. Meanwhile, we're living here in poverty, but we're better at soccer than y'all. You guys suck at soccer. We're better. And we were so proud of that. So anytime the, the, Mexico plays the U.S., I'm always going to root for Mexico for the reason. Like I just grew up with that. However... We also grew up loving a lot of American media. We love American music, American movies, right? Like there's a lot of things that we really, that a lot of Mexicans, like we have amazing Mexican music as well, but there's a lot of things that, that we love about uh, the U.S. as well when it comes to the culture. I know that we're going to be moving on soon and I, I want to get to our awesome patron question, but this is a random thing that I've thought about for a long time, D, when I think about people in different countries and not knowing what is how kids grow up or how American kids grow up. Did y'all have like sleepovers and play dates? Yes and no. To me, it seems like American kids grow up in a suburban neighborhood and everybody kind of knows each other and goes to each other's houses. That wasn't really the case for me. I also grew up with a very strict mom. So she didn't let me go anywhere, right? She didn't let me sleep at anybody's place. She didn't let me go to concerts. I didn't do any of that stuff until I moved to the U.S. Uh, as an 18-year-old. So I was a very rare case as a child, clearly, why I'm such a, a weirdo. But I don't remember sleepovers other than maybe in school the popular kids that were wealthy, they would all kind of hang out with each other. And then the friends that I made in high school, I was kind of like the leader of the nerds of like the weird outcast group because I would stand up to people that were like bullying my friends. And so we kind of hung out and maybe had like one sleepover. But it wasn't like a common thing because I was also a weirdo kid that didn't have friends when I was a child, right? I just hung out with my family and I didn't have friends till I was an actual teenager. 
So you may have to ask another Mexican for that. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll call my Mexican friends and ask them if they had play dates and sleepovers. Uh, well, I think we've kind of covered most of what it's like to grow up in Mexico. For those of you that aren't aware, I ended up moving here to the States when I turned 18. And I went to college in Steph's lovely city of the whale's vagina, San Diego. And there's definitely a whole other episode we can talk about the culture shock there of going to a school where most people were Americans and white. And there was like five other Hispanic people or Latinos and like one black guy. It was a really weird, interesting thing to to go through. But that's for another episode. So uh, we want to get to our Patreon question. Yeah, we have a Patreon question from our very own patron, Garth McMurray, who asked D, when they lived in San Diego, my sister and her friends would travel to Mexico, often to party. They called Tijuana TJ's like it was a nightclub. Would you ever travel to California to party? What did native Mexicans think of the Americans coming into Mexico on weekends to party? It's a really fun question, Garth, because I specifically living in San Diego as a college kid ended up taking my American friends to Tijuana because the legal in- the legal drinking age obviously in the US is of 21, but in Mexico you can drink legally when you're 18. So that's why many American college students would cross the border to Tijuana to go to the nightclubs and be able to drink. And it was a really entertaining, funny thing for me to see because I would take my American friends and they would all kind of just be like deers in headlights because nobody spoke the language. The waiters and the hostesses and like the people that actually worked at the restaurants and bars, they were so excited to have American dollars. So one thing about my people is that not only are we very proud of who we are we are also very welcoming for both anybody that wants to hang out and party with us and we're very welcoming for anybody that wants to give us their money so if you'll notice if you visit mexico if you're traveling over there on vacation you get treated like a king and queen the service is amazing and that doesn't just come from wanting to make money and being tipped in dollars it just comes from our culture if you are walking around in mexico and you are stranded for some reason and you knock on somebody's door they're not going to look at you like a weirdo they're going to be like oh you want some food come in we're very community-based as opposed to the u.s which seems very individualistic so that's something that i love taking my american friends to mexico because of that and i remember having really fun memories in tijuana where they would all get drunk and, you know, Mexican guys would ask my friends to dance and we would be dancing to Spanish rock. And it was a, it was a really fun time. I, I actually really cherish those moments. Really, really fun memories. But the other way around, D, you, it's not like you would go from Mexico to the United States to party because the drinking age was 21 here, right? Correct. I had no reason to come to the U.S. because I was able to go to a nightclub in Mexico not even until I was 18, but when I was like 17 or 16, they would just let you in. So it was very easy to just drink there and party there. I just had a different experience because my mom didn't like me drinking. So there's that. As an adult now, would you choose to party if you had one night to just rage face? Are you partying in Mexico or America? I mean, Mexico. Mexico, Mexico lindo y querido. Because we're going to talk about pros and cons. I love both countries. I feel very 
proud and lucky to have been able to live in both countries. And I would not be the person I am if, if, if that wasn't the case. But something I really miss about Mexico and Mexican culture that I'm lucky to see in Los Angeles, because there's so many of us here, is not only are y'all here gringos very uptight compared to us, but it's that sense of community versus individualism. I think that if you go to a nightclub in the U.S., no matter where you are, if it's like a trendy place, it's kind of douchey, and you don't, you know, people are just looking to like hook up. It's like a weird thing. Partying in Mexico is more like going to your local dive bar here, right? Where people are welcoming and they'll get drunk early and start singing and dancing and nobody cares about being cool and people just want to party and celebrate life. And so that's, that's my biggest thing about how much I love being Mexican is our respect of life and death over things that I see Americans care about that I don't I don't know I will ever understand like materialistic possessions and consumerism so Guillermo del Toro one of my favorite directors obviously he was asked how he balances the darkness and terror in his often monster film films with the joyful and loving person that he is and his answer was literally I'm Mexican you know, he looked at the journalists and just said, I'm Mexican. And then he explained why. He said, this is his quote, no one loves life more than we do. In a way, because we are so conscious about death, the preciousness of life standing side to side to the one place we're all going to. Everybody in this planet boarded a train that was final destination, death. So in the train, we're going to live, we're going to have beauty and love and freedom, and I think that when you eliminate one of the two sides of the equation, it's a pamphlet. When you take into account the dark to tell the light, it's reality. So that's why Mexicans celebrate death, too. That's why we have Dia de Muertos. We are constantly conscious every day that we're going to die. Like, you guys know I talk about this all the time in the world, girls. That's my ending note. We're all going to die, so don't be a dick. So because we're aware of death, it's everywhere. When we grow up as kids, knowing that little kids are dying, not just from poverty, but from like carteles or you're seeing all this tragedy in the news all the time and around where you live, you really value life. And so you really think about the things that matter. I don't know if I'd be that way if I didn't grow up in Mexico. Uh, to that. <laughs> She's so much better at it than we are. I know. It's not even funny. She just steps on us as she should with that. That's a really dope quote. And you taught us a little bit about that in the Dia de Muerto episode. It's a really cool way to look at life and death and not be a dick. Exactly. Well, we did it, kids. Muchísimas gracias. Thanks for being a bitch out of water with us and learning about me growing up in Mexico. We appreciate you listening. If you want to be the first to get all things World Girls, go to patreon.com slash theworldgirls. That way you can watch our podcast tapings live, ask questions, and even video chat with us. Plus, we go live on youtube.com slash theworldgirls every Wednesday and Sunday. And don't forget to follow us on social media on Twitter, TikTok, at theworldgirls, and on Instagram at worldgirlswap. We are new here, so if you like us, if you really, really like us, don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe. We're all going to die, so don't be a dick. Stay wet, my friends. <laughs>